and I needed the Jesus I had never known before. I needed, I needed a God that I had not experienced in the fullness. I needed power. I needed the reality of who he says that he is that we read about all the time. This is The Unseen Story, first-hand accounts that reveal the supernatural reality of God's love. When His love leads, a remarkable story follows. The Unseen Story is a nonprofit that relies on financial support from listeners like you. Please visit our website, theunseenstory.org, to find out how you can partner with us today. You're listening to Jamie's story. Jesus came in like a boss. Yeah, my name is Jamie. Uh, I am five years clean and sober. Um, after having gone to Christian school and, and a university and seemed like everything should be normal and you know, like a picture-perfect life, right? And um, Except that was so not the case. I don't even really know how to start this because um, I was sitting in an investigation room. I was 34 years old, um, sitting across from an investigator, a detective that um, had been working for a year building a case against me with a DA. And he pulls out a sheet of paper and I see line item by line item. And I'm looking and I see a doctor and I see a pharmacy and I see a date and I see a doctor, a pharmacy and a date. And the lines go on and on. And before he even really says anything, he turns the tape recorder on and he's like, do you understand why you're here? And I heard Holy Spirit for the first time in probably 17 years, because I'd been living in some form of an addiction for about 17 years at this point. And Holy Spirit said to me, if you will be honest, I will give you grace. And I was not a truthful person at this point in my life. I lived in lies. I was a lie. Like I lived multiple facets of just, I didn't have truth in me. And I said, I've done every single one of those that you have listed on your paper, except you're missing one. I just had a prescription filled last week. I had attempted to have it filled across state lines, which would have made it a, a federal case. As the story plays out, um, I find out that I have 19 counts of second-degree felony against me just on this one charge. And each one of those counts carries two to 20 years two years minimum, 20 years maximum, and I have 19 of those. As I finish all of this up, he's like, because you've been honest with me, this is a Friday afternoon at like 3 p.m., I'm going to go to the judge and see if she'd be willing to consider dropping some of your charges, just some. And when Holy Spirit said, I'll give you grace, he literally meant it. And they dropped 18 of the 19 counts of second-degree felony, which would have literally spent the rest of my adult life in prison. And they put me on probation, but I wasn't done. And so I get out, I bail out, um, and I continue to drink. And I think I'm exempt from the rules. I think I'm exempt from everything because that's how I'd operated. I'd always been able to manipulate my way out of every situation. When I, when I looked in the mirror, I didn't even see who I was. Like I couldn't see the reality of the extreme measures that my life had become. I, I didn't see that I was an addict, and I didn't see that I was an alcoholic, and I didn't see that I was a liar. I didn't see that I was a thief. I just thought I was doing what I wanted to do, and it made me feel good. And so that's what I was entitled to do and to be and to have. I got arrested in August of 14. By December, I had already failed my first outpatient UA, which is a urinary analysis. Um, it tested for drugs and alcohol. So it was the 1st of January in 2015 that I get a call from my attorney, and he's like, what did you do? What did you do? And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I was just in court and they're looking for you. 
And um, he said, you don't have options. You, you need to understand me. You have zero options. You have to turn yourself in by this date and this time, or they will come looking for you, period. And January 7th is when I turned myself in in a jail cell. I'm sitting in this, it's a medical tank because I was also narcoleptic. Um, I used my narcolepsy as an excuse to abuse my medication, which was Adderall. Um, like I had multiple doctors and uh, I just went from doctor, it was doctor shopping. And those were what the felonies were for. And so I'd never been without this medication for nine years. It was, it was my life. And without it, I didn't function. That was all I knew of how to function. And so I'm in this medical tank against the wall. You see push, like pray until something happens. And quite frankly, I was like, I don't even want to look at this stuff. I was so disenchanted with the God that I knew. I mean, I had heard Holy Spirit months before that, by eight months, but I was so disenchanted because the God that I grew up with in church was not the God I needed. And the God that I heard sitting in a pew had no life for me. So I went to bed my first night in jail as an addict, as an alcoholic, all of these things. And I woke up the next morning and I never had withdrawals. I never had shakes. I never fell out of my bunk. Um, I had broken my nose countless times because of when I hadn't been on medication, I would lose muscle control and I would smash my nose or I'd smash my face and um, they call it cataplexy. And, uh, you know, it was about a year after all of this happened that it was like, Jesus walked in like a boss, like a loving boss and pulled me out of the pits of hell because that's what it was. That's all I'd known was survival by medication, survival by alcohol, survival by being in a relationship with a man, like I had no idea of what or who I was outside of those things. And what I realized, it was to build a faith in me that I had never known because of what was ahead. I had to face the fact of who I'd become. Um, my family wanted nothing to do with me. I found out that my family was the one that had actually turned me in to the DA. And they had built that case against me because it wasn't out of anger. It wasn't out of hate but it's because they would rather lose a relationship with me and save my life than enable me and let me continue to do what I was doing. Because at that point, I wasn't just affecting me. I was affecting every other person that was around me, including my nieces and nephews. And, and I loved them, right? I just couldn't love them enough to stop doing what I was doing because I hated me. Because once you get so broken and you hate what you've done and you hate what you're doing, it opens this doorway to continue to participate in it because you're like, well, I'm this far. Does it really matter? And then it begins feeding something in you because I was so void of feeling an emotion. I needed something to feel. I, I had no emotion. I was, I was dead. I literally had a heart of stone. That person I'd become, I had been the abused. And out of anger and shame and, and all of that, I then in turn became the abuser, right? And you don't think of it that way. You often see like in the movies, this woman getting abused or even a man or a child. But what I learned from experience is that what you receive, you perpetuate. And it blew my mind. And I was like, and th that reality that I had become the abuser and to be able to, to see that. And it wasn't until, man, a year into my sobriety. And when I say sobriety, I don't mean just like I'm not, participating in these things. I'm talking like Jesus invades my heart sober. And it's not, I love the programs and I have many friends that are in the programs and I still do AA. But it was Jesus is my sobriety. 
Does that make sense? It's very different. It's it's so different because it's not about just this remote hope and promise. It's about running back in to the very life itself. That when you first met him, there was a life that entered you. And so when I sat in that jail cell and he began to work on my heart and he began to to do these things, as my family was like, we're not coming to visit you. We're not putting money on your books. You're not going to see us. Right. Not, I mean, like it was just it was sitting there and it's that excruciating process of like, I hate me. And I just began to journal and pour my heart out to Jesus. And I was like, I'm scared. I, I don't know what to do with who I am. I don't know if you even want to hear me. I don't know if you even want to speak to me. I don't know if you want me because I don't want me. And he took me to this verse in Isaiah and it's Isaiah 52, one through two. And it says, Awake, awake, O daughter of Zion, for the defiled and uncircumcised will enter you no longer. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like, that's me. Like, the, you know, like those things that I'd used to fill me, those uncircumcised, the defiled things of this world that I had used to, to bring me something. He was like, no more. And the reality that the key for this freedom that I had wanted, but I never knew how to find it, and it was scared to death to even go after it, the whole time was sitting inside me. And it was just relenting myself to the arms of Jesus once again. And I needed the Jesus I had never known before. I needed needed a God that I had not experienced in the fullness. I needed power. I needed the reality of who He says that He is, that we read about all the time. And... He healed me of the narcolepsy, which there's no cure for. He healed me of of the alcoholism and the addiction to pills. He began restoring my family back to me. And it didn't happen all at once, but it happened step by step and, and moment by moment. And yet what I learned is that I had to fix this first, and I had to allow him to do surgery on me. If he could have filleted me open and taken it out, I probably would have been much happier. You know, but it was the the journey over the next four years of saying, I have to trust you with what you've created and taking the excruciating pain that's actually a joy now to be able to sit and to tell people and be like, let me show you who I was. Because if you see the before and after, you're like, oh my God, holy crap. Like, you look like you would cut me. Yeah, I probably would have. You know, like it was that mentality and being so depraved, but seeing the restoration of what Christ really intended me to be, because it didn't start with all of these addictive behaviors. It started with an onslaught of my identity at a very young age, because if the enemy can pick up on who and what you're supposed to be for the kingdom of God, he knows long before we're ever aware of what our purposes are. At 10 and 11 years old, when you start being like, oh, I don't really, I'm not comfortable with myself. And by the time you're 17, being in a full-blown anorexic lifestyle, you know he's already come in and planted that seed and, and tried to rob you of the fullness of what you're supposed to be walking out. You know, there's this scene in Lord of the Rings, uh, Return of the Kings, and, and I love it, and I use this a lot. It's the daughter of one of the kings, and she's cloaked as a soldier. She's cloaked as a man because they're like, you can't go into battle. It's not created for you. You're a woman. You need to stay here. And she, she knows in her heart and the very essence of who she is that she's actually called to the battlefield. And she's sitting on there and she's sitting on her horse and she fa- watched her father fall off and he's about to be run through. And as she approaches this 
this wraith, this thing that's about to kill the king, he says, for who are you? For no man can kill me. And she looks at him, she says, for I am no man. I'm a daughter of the king. And she just runs him through and I'm like, what if, what if we had the reality? Whatever your battlefield is, I'm called to run in headlong, to rip off the helmet, not to be disguised as something that you're really not, but in true transparency and vulnerability of, of the beauty of who you are and being like, no, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to take what you've, you've given me to, to stand dominion over, to take dominion over. And whether it's your family, whether it's the arts, whether it's, you know, business, it doesn't, education, it doesn't matter what it is. But when you pick up that, that charge, knowing that this is what I was destined for, like my purpose is to come in and to go in like a boss, knowing that the deliverer is coming in with me and yanking those men and women out of the pits of hell. He put us here for a purpose. When we follow after whatever he tells us to do, and it doesn't always look normal. It doesn't always seem comfortable. Sometimes it's awkward. But when we move, when he tells us to move, heaven shows up. We encourage you to ask Holy Spirit what he wants to say to you through this story. We invite you to partner with us through your God-given resources of time, prayer, and finances. Without your sharing, these stories don't spread to those who need them. Without your prayers, we are limited in what we can do for the kingdom. Without your finances, these powerful stories of God's supernatural love go untold. God has called us to share His stories, and we invite you to be a part of that mission. For more information, be sure to check out our website at theunseenstory.org. Thanks so much for listening.